You are listening to The Powerful Creator Show with your host, Cheryl Sosnowski. If you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. On this week's episode of The Powerful Creator Show, I am interviewing the absolutely brilliant Danny Katz. Danny is an author and illustrator and the writer of the book, Word Up, Little Languaging Hacks for Big Change, which teaches you how to make simple shifts in your language to create massive shifts in your life. Danny is also a communication strategist and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. You can find her everywhere on the internet doing far too many interesting things that I could possibly talk about on this brief intro. I hope you enjoy this interview. It's one you don't want to miss. Hello, Danny. Thank you for joining me today on the Powerful Creator Show. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here today. And we're going to talk about so many exciting things. But the first question I always like to ask my guests, and I'm very curious to hear what your response is going to be, is that the name of my show is the Powerful Creator Show. And I would love to know what the term being a powerful creator means to you. Okay. Well, uh, being a powerful creator means uh, being in charge of our reality, taking 100% responsibility for our experience of reality and 100% responsibility for shifting (laughs) our reality um, such that we love it. And um, knowing our power, knowing our sovereignty, um, and acting from those places. Awesome. Awesome answer. And I know that for you, that is something that you practice through art and through languaging and through probably a lot of things I don't even know about because I don't know you in person. So I'm really excited to get to know you during this time. But I have your book here, which you've changed. The one I have has an older title and you've changed it to Word Up since then. But is the book the same just with a different title? The book is exactly the same, just the title is different, and one small acknowledgement shift. <laughs> okay, okay, so the book is, you're calling it Word Up, and it's Little Languaging Hacks for Big Change. So it's about quantum languaging and how we use our words, and how powerful words are to create your reality. Does that sound right? That's spot on. <laughs> okay, awesome. A plus. A plus. Woohoo. Okay. I did my reading. I love this book. So I have a lot of yellow tabs. I don't think we'll get to all of them today. (laughs) But I wanted to talk about first um, the power of the subconscious mind and how you talk about how languaging programs the subconscious mind. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So that's straight up brain science. Um, None of that is is my specific... um, research or discovery, but the subconscious mind is responsible for 95% of our experience of reality. And the subconscious mind is programmed first, foremost, and only through language and repetition. So it's the thoughts that we think and the words that we say are 100% of the time programming our subconscious mind. There never, there's never a moment where our subconscious mind is taking a nap and where I might say something disempowering and my subconscious mind is like, oh, I missed, you know, I missed her saying she's broke or I missed her saying she's uglier or whatever. You know, the mm-hmm. subconscious mind is tracking all of it and then it's organizing reality and it's directing reality um, to affirm the belief systems that are informing it. Um, and so it's, it's kind of startling for people to realize how much power we have, that, that we really are creators on this planet and we really are creating our experience 
every step of the way. So my work focuses on the words that we're using um, so that our subconscious mind is aligned with the lives that we want to be living and so that we can come in to cohesion and harmony and, and be very streamlined with what we're experiencing during our, you know, our earth walks. Our earth walks. I love that. Uh, what a great answer. And it's really interesting because I like how you talk about in the book. Um, I love you. I totally agree with your perspective on things and how we live in a vibratory field and that words are energy and that they contain, I love, I just love your love of words. And so mm-hmm. I want, how did you get into um, really using quantum languaging? Okay. Um, well, I've always been a writer. I've always been what I call a word nerd and really geeked out on etymology. And, um, you know, I've, I've been a writer for a bajillion years. I got a master's degree in journalism. And so I'm the type of writer who takes a long time and labors for hours over the the perfect sentence and the perfect words. So I've I've been oriented like that from the get-go. Around 2006, 2007, I was in a really deep shamanic phase doing a lot of plant medicine ceremonies. And I had a weird out of nowhere injury where I went to bed a totally healthy person and I woke up paralyzed with five compressed discs in my upper cervical spine. Um, my, my posture was completely lurched forward. I couldn't lift my head up. My left arm was paralyzed um, and nothing had happened. Um, I, I was an advanced Ashtanga yogi. So there was a theory that it was like just a lot of wear and tear on the body, but nothing happened. And so I spent about a month on the couch um, recovering. And during that time, I was just visiting my library and just, just reading books and pulling out different books. And I found this book called Hidden Language Codes by R. Mm-hmm. Neville Johnston. I'd never seen the book. I have no idea how it got in my library. And it, the book was amazing. And it was about this guy who was shot point blank in the chest six times. He died. And while he died, he downloaded these languaging codes. And so after I read the book, um, I started to experience words differently. They started to show me their codes. And because I work with words so much, um, it was just this interesting multidimensional onslaught of Intel. So when I was writing, I would start to see words differently and feel words differently and jump ahead and see where, you know, I was writing a lot for the LA Weekly at the time. And I would be able to sense like, oh, this is how this is going to be perceived by the readers. And it's not necessarily going to be the most empowering. And it, and it really showed up when I would go to healing events or to see motivational speakers or empowerment speakers. And I could see the words leaving their mouth and I could see them landing in the audience and I could see them shutting the audience down, opening the audience up. I, I could just see the effects that they were having. And and very unconsciously, you know, like, so I would see a lot of these, these leaders doing their audience a disservice and not realizing where they were disempowering their listeners. So since reading that book, it really just opened up this new realm for me. And then the more attention that I put on it, the more it wants to show me. And I'm, I'm still at the point where like the momentum behind quantum languaging is so strong. There's so much that these words want to show me and want to tell me. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm just trying to catch up with you guys. (laughs) 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 I'm doing my best, but I'm juggling a lot of things here. Oh, that is so amazing. And I have such an appreciation for that. And what a gift, what a great story. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. And you know, because I've always felt like well, and the more I study it and the more that I step into like the vibrationness, the vibration of your beingness, right? So it's not just about 
thinking it, but about how your constant thoughts, that repetition starts to change fundamentally how you feel and how you see yourself, right? 100%. Those choosing words. And so I want to talk about like exactly what you said when you go see somebody speak or you listen to somebody. And I loved your use of getting rid of the word limitless. I thought mm-hmm. that was really amazing to reframe that, that the word limit is in there. So I would just love for you to touch on a little bit about why, why do you take away that negative? Why do you not want to use that negative, even though it's meaning something positive? Yeah. So, um, I, there's a section in the book called negative space speak. And in, in the English language, a lot of times we'll use the words un or less. We'll use these prefixes and suffixes to sort of shift the meaning of the word. But the subconscious mind is very literal. So when I say unlimited or limitless, really all it hears is limitation. It's putting limitation into my field of consciousness. And sure, I can try to work around it, but it's already there. We've already brought it into the room. Um, and so I created this work on this, this word omniscopic, which means every moment access to every potentiality that is, was, or will be. So it's, it's a way of saying limitless or unlimited without having to tether ourselves to the vibrational frequency of limit, which like, in reality, in the larger scope, that liberates humanity, at least English-speaking humanity, um, from limitation in a very new way. I love that because it, it is, it's like, the, it's, um, and it's difficult to put to words. So that's why I really appreciate how you have found a way to attach that vibrational frequency and that energy that we attach to words. And there are ways that you can rephrase how you're saying things like the word try. Thanks to you. I've eliminated it. I'm like, I'm not even going to say try because it's really, you're right that it's really, when you say try, it's really dishonest that I'm like, it's either I don't want to or yeah, it's just own it. If you say try, like you're not going to, but at least own that we're not going to. Or I will, but I don't want to. Or yeah, it's exactly. Right. It's like do it or don't do it. Aggressive word. <laughs> well, I, it's passive aggressive. And it's also, um, it's a way to play small. It's a way to procrastinate. Like a, there's so many little traps in our languaging that allows us to speak big and, and speak these these grand ideas and goals and to not take action and follow through. Mm. So quantum languaging definitely addresses that. And it's, it's a language for people who are choosing to walk their talk and to optimize their potential and to have a big impact and to get out of their way. Oh, I love that. And you touched a little bit on the English speaking world. And I like how in the book you compare um, the European language to American or English language where we say I am versus they saying I have. So would you talk about that right. a little bit? Yeah. So um, identity issues are pretty major for our country right now. And the example that I point to in the book is how in the English language we say I am 80 years old versus I have 80 years. So um, I'm using this as an example to show how syntax creates our reality. It creates our lens of perception. Language is so much more than words we're using to communicate thoughts and ideas to one another. It sets our entire worldview. So when I say I am 80 years old, all of a sudden I'm very identified with my sunspins. I'm very identified with my time here on the planet. And that gets conflated with my identity versus in the European language. When they say I have 80 years, it's not conflated with their identity. They're larger and bigger 
you know, and in some sense more infinite and eternal than these sun spins. And that's why we see these insane hangups in our culture about, you know, anti-aging, which is so silly because again, like limitless, it's just thrusting aging into the forefront and then anti is putting us at war with it and conflict. And we have all these issues right now in our culture with patriarchy and, and patriarchy isn't like dudes in charge. Patriarchy is a lens of perception. It's how we're framing reality. So anti and being in conflict, that's patriarchy. That's something that we're all doing. Um, Sorry, I just got off no, a little, a little bit. So, you know, when we visit Europe, there's just a gentler, more, um, more embracing and allowing relationship towards the process of time and and the toll that time takes on our physical bodies and our mental bodies. In this country, it doesn't feel super healthy. It feels like we're really at odds with that process. And so I'm pointing to the way that we language it and how it becomes conflated with our identity. And so many of the issues that I see us having in this culture are because we conflate behaviors and ideas with identity. And so then it becomes this existential question um, when we're really talking about things that could be very simple shifts. Right, right. I totally agree with that. And it's, it's like a labeling of yourself and you're taking ownership of something about you that's really just an aspect of your life that doesn't identify who you are. Exactly. And I, love, I love how you compare it to like, I am hungry or I am in a bad mood or I, it's like these, we're, we're, you're taking such ownership of things. You don't necessarily need to take ownership over for sure, for sure. I had a, I was working with a shaman fairly closely on a book. And during one of our sessions, he said to me, you're, you're an angry person. And I said, I am not, and I am not signing on to that. I'm a person who's been tasked to work with the energy of anger in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. I'm not conflating that mission with who I am. And I, I'm very quick to make those adjustments when anyone attempts to staple an identity construct onto me and to encourage other people to relinquish their identity constructs because it it allows us to be free to be who we want and to be, you know, behave in a way that's authentic for the moment and not be stapled to having to do something a certain way because that's how we did it. Or that's the type of person we're claiming we are. Mm, I love that. And when you learn to be in the present moment and to keep yourself in the present moment, it actually feels gentler. And you realize that there, there's really nowhere to get to. There is not necessarily even a now. It's just like, you're always in kind of this state of gentle flow, you know? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And there's so much freedom in that because, you know, who do you want to be in this moment? How do you want to handle the situation in this moment? And it opens up the realm of infinity versus these very narrow um, bits and pieces that align with these narrow and reductive identity constructs. Absolutely. I love that. Oh my gosh. I love your book. I love everything about it. And I love, <laughs> I love these kinds of conversations and people that understand this. And I think, are you a, are you a parent? No. Okay. Well, I love your whole thing in here about the word should. And I'm like, parents, if they wanted to make one massive shift to help their children and motivate their children in a proper way, it is take that word out of your language and telling your kids what they should do. And I love how you said that humans have a tendency to shut down when they're being told what to do. Yeah. I I love that you say that because Um, I I coach some families with languaging and sometimes there's a little bit of conflict in like the kids are not actually sovereign authorities because they're not 18. (laughs) So they do need to do what we tell them to do. Um, 
my thing with should is that should, so there are words that expand and there are words that contract and there are words that are neutral. And that is every word comes under one of those three categories. Should is a word that shuts people down, whether we're conscious of it or not. Um, so when someone tells me you should X, Y, Z, I do not even hear the X, Y, Z because every part of my nervous system is saying, don't tell me what to do. And, and when we tell people should, it becomes hierarchical because we're alleging that, that we know better and that I know what action is best for them to take. So that puts us in that hierarchical gestalt, which again, calling back to um, patriarchy, which is like my current obsession is that's patriarchy is, is the, a, a hierarchical structure that alleges that someone's above and someone below someone mm. is below. So that's what should does. Um, so I'm a fan instead of shooting on people is saying, well, you might want to consider, or this is something that works for me, or here's what's coming to mind or a wiser choice might be, or this might be more effective. I'm really a fan of, of whether things are effective or not effective versus right or wrong, like good that. or bad. Mm. The other thing I would say as far as, um, and I'm not a parent again, so w what's best for children, I totally leave that to the parents. But one that I see parents doing a lot, which, um, which I definitely see shutting children down, is why did you do this? And using why as a way of saying, I don't approve of what you're doing. Because adults are acculturated in such a way that we, we understand um, how words, you know, on some level, get how their meaning changes through acculturation and through indoctrination. So if, if you were to say to me, why did you do something? I might get hung up on, on explaining to you why I did something. Children aren't as acculturated. So they're really much more sensitive to these vibrational frequencies of words and to the metadata that's encoded in words. So when, when I say to a child, why did you do it that way? They are hearing, oh, this, it's not okay. This person doesn't approve of me mm. and then shutting down accordingly. And that's actually what I see um, a lot of parents doing to their children and not having any idea of the ways that it's shutting them down and fragmenting their consciousness is using why as a means of saying, I don't approve. Oh, interesting. And I know that anytime I've asked my son, especially I'll say, why did you do, why did you not pass your math test? His answer is always, always, always. And you can predict exactly what I'm going to say. I don't know. And of course he doesn't know, you know, they don't know. Well, and because also it's, it's a disingenuous question. Like, it are is. you really asking about his process? Or are you just trying to say, I'm not okay with this? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's a way of saying, I don't approve. And in a way that's, that you think, or as a parent, I feel like it's not as shaming and I'm trying to figure out what's going on in his head, but there's definitely a lot um, healthier and more productive, more effective ways <laughs> to go about that for sure. Yeah. And just doing the... Why did you? Why didn't you? I like that. That's a perfect, yeah. perfect example. Because why use in that context puts the other person on the defensive and they feel attacked. Mm. Um, and then that just, that paves the way for conflict. I love that. That's completely true. And I like your aspects on time and we won't get into all of the quantum ways. And I think you and I agree on a lot of these things with um, Richard Rudd and the Gene Keys and all of the, the magic of studying that and diving into all of that. But yeah. I like your perspective of, and you know, one of my favorite books is Think and Grow Rich and I read it all the time and mm -hmm. I've read it over and over and over and it sinks in. And I really appreciated your, you know, this multi-dimensional um, take on words and time 
in how we language and talk to ourselves about what we want, what we want to create. And I would love for you to talk about your thoughts on that, like conscious creation. I have so many thoughts on conscious creation. Uh, Well, let's talk specifically about how your words and, you know, why would you use, you know, what kind of words should you use the languaging behind conscious creation and manifesting now? So one of the biggest issues I see that gets in the way of people's manifestation process is speaking about the things that they want and, and putting them off into the future as things that they will one day have. Um, so the issues are twofold. One, when we talk about the things that we want or need or are calling in, we're affirming this, the not havingness. We're affirming the space between where we are now and where we want to be. So if I want a Lamborghini, which I don't, but let, let's say that I did. Um, and I'm talking about, I'm so excited to, you know, that I'm calling in my Lamborghini. I can't wait to drive my Lamborghini. I'm pushing it off into the future. Um, the way that time works with, without going too far down that rabbit hole, we've all heard that time isn't linear. Um, time is actually a fourth dimensional construct of um, simultaneous synchronicity. So the reality of time, which is you know nearly impossible to grasp, if not impossible with our third dimensional brains, mm-hmm. but time exists um, simultaneously on multiple dimensions at the same time. So if there's something that I am tapping into that I know that I want, like this imaginary Lamborghini, then on some dimension I have that Lamborghini because otherwise in a realm of infinite possibility, I wouldn't be connecting with that as something that I want. There's so many choices, right? So many options for us in this dimensional construct on this planet. So when we tap in and hone in on things that we want, we know that it exists on some other dimension. And so the easiest and most efficient way of experiencing that in this dimensional reality is to claim it with present moment definitive havingness languaging. So it's, I love my Lamborghini. I feel so strong and powerful and excited when I'm driving it. I love how the wind blows through my hair when the windows are down and the sunroof is open. And I love how people, you know, cream their heads to see who's driving it. And it's to speak about it in present moment and to really, and we all know this from the secret and stuff, to get into the feeling aspect of what it's like, um, to have these things in the here and now. So I would say the biggest shift is to go from future tense to switching it to present tense and owning that we have it now instead of waiting for third dimensional reality to configure such that we have it to then earn the privilege of using that languaging. It's, it's the reverse. We language it as though we have it first and then the universe gives it to us. I love that because I think about, um, I always think about an example, like when my daughter was about three and we had this weird park that was really dangerous <laughs> and they had this huge slide that went up like a good 15 feet and it was like an arcing slide that they could climb up or a ladder that the kids could climb up. And I remember my daughter got up there, she was at the top and she froze and she looked down at me and she said, oh my gosh, I'm afraid I'm going to fall. And I just very calmly just said, don't look at where you don't want to go. Look at where you do want to go. Keep your eyes ahead of you. And language I think is that same thing that don't talk about what you don't want to have happen. Talk about what you do, what you do want to create. Yeah, I got a chill when you shared that. Oh, thank you. I know <laughs> it's because you. it's it's kind of the same thing. And 
I, you address, I mean, this book is just so deep and it's hard to go through it in a, in a quick podcast with all of the different mini layers, but I really appreciate that you give quantum language hacks to suggest to take the words out and to put words in instead. And so let's give our listeners, I liked your, um, I think one that people do all the time besides the should is the absolutes. Always and never. Always and never. Yeah. (laughs) Always and never are big in this culture. Um, What always and never do is they immediately... So the ego exists to make us right. That's really the ego's function. And that's why that's how the ego works in tandem with the subconscious mind to organize reality so that we can be right. Like that's how they're tag teaming. So when we use the word always and never, you know... If I were to say, you always interrupt me, your brain, your ego is going to immediately start looking for exceptions to that rule to prove me wrong. So it's going to jump off topic. Like it's, it's now it's not even focused on what we're talking about. It's just trying to find a way to make me wrong, which I am because they're, they're pretty much usually exceptions to these rules. And it's, so it's a way to just defer to these sweeping generalizations that aren't true and to, to bring the ego in. And it's also a way to seed infinity. So one of the examples I use in the book is I never find parking in this neighborhood. Like, well, that's a great way to direct the universe to continue to organize reality such that you're not finding parking. Right. You know, or I always lose at backgammon. Great. Like, way to seed your reality so that you continue on that streak. So I'm a writer, so I'm definitely prone to hyperbole. I'm, I'm prone to, to a lot of the, the languaging issues that I'm hacking in the book. And um, hyperbole is, is rarely a wise strategy. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate it because it's funny and it made me laugh. Not only are there things that are True, very, very true. But it also has a chuckle because you have a terrific sense of humor in your way. Thank of you. And Thank you're, you. You're and you know, when talking like this, you know, here's a little cartoon about you know that you drew that. I love your little cartoons that you put in here. I never win, and then you have the little thing on the cloud. Reality, configure to support this infinite losing streak, and I love it. It's so funny. But Thanks. I'm glad you like it. It's very true, and um, you know, I just recommend for anybody who's really into being a powerful creator and stepping into and owning the fact that you, your individual self are utterly responsible for your reality on this planet. No one else is responsible for it, but you, that you can take ownership of a simple thing like your language. Exactly. It's so so simple. And what's great about it is because we use words all day, every day, we don't need to schedule extra time to practice this. We have all day, every day to put these precepts and these hacks into effect and to watch them shift our reality for the better. And remembering that every word does matter. So when we're not using these hacks and we are deferring to our habitually disempowering languaging patterns, we're just strengthening those neural networks and we're just strengthening those muscles that, you know, we would be wise to let atrophy. So I definitely, for me, I'm looking at everything that's going on in our world and all these people with such great intentions who are wanting to shift the structures for the, the better. And my thought is, 
if you're not shifting the languaging, it's silly, you know, like, because that's the larger meta structure. So if we're creating these so-called solutions with a language that's still infected with limitation and hierarchy and lack, then that's what we're going to continue to create. Completely. I've become a lot more conscious about it since reading your book and noticing the way that people word things and how, and, and it makes you really question what they authentically mean, but you know, with the words, when things come out a certain way, it really does start to make you wonder what the underlying true message really is there. And something I don't, you probably already know this cause you're a word nerd, a self-proclaimed word nerd. I just learned that the word abracadabra means I create what I speak. Yes. Yes. It's ancient Aramaic. Um, and there are all these clues in ancient mystical religions and traditions that indicate that words do create our reality. So for sure, that's one of them. And I, I wanted to touch on something that you just said, oh, which is about um, wondering what people really mean is I am a huge fan of interrupting conversational flow to get clear on what people mean. And I, and to say like, what do you mean by that? Or how are you using this term? That happens all the time where I stop the conversation to ask people to define their terms because so often People, you know, we're disagreeing about things or having conversations about things and we're not talking about the mm. same thing. So I, that's, that's super, super basic. There's no real languaging hack around that. And I think it's really, really helpful in, in developing like more harmonic collaborative relationships to define our terms. And if there's the slightest question that I don't know what someone's talking about, to put, put the ego aside and just be like, what are, how are you using that? How are you defining that term? It's really helpful. And you know, that's so important because I know as a mindfulness teacher, your languaging and words are really important because of the fact of perception, right? That words are really containers of meaning. And so if I say the word picnic, if someone says, let's go on a picnic, one person might think, oh, yay, a blanket and a cliff and trees and a beautiful sunny day. And another person might think, oh, my God, work. And another person might be like, oh, bugs. You know, you never know. Totally. is thinking. So I appreciate like looking at words as containers of meaning and to really, you know, careful and conscientious around how you're phrasing. Yeah. It's deliberate just to be deliberate and discerning and to be very clear because I was noticing this the other day. It's so easy to spew words and not think twice. Um, But some of our deepest wounds are from things that people said to us Mm -hmm. that they might not, be thinking twice about or or likely even remember, but that words have such an impact and everyone really does matter. And it's so, you know, why not use them to uplift and empower one another because that they can do that so easily. You know, there's such handy tools that way. And that is a perfect way to end our half an hour today, which (laughs) flew by. Oh my gosh, this flew by about how your rules for quantum language hacks to end separation speak. And I really appreciate these that are one, speak the truth, two, speak kindness, and three, speak wholeness. So I would love for you to elaborate briefly on those three things and how those work and how they can heal yourself and the world. So this goes back to my, uh, my quest to use language as a way to write us into a new paradigm of inclusion and unity and cooperation and abundance and loveliness for all. And so using words that affirm all of those things and using words that affirm our wholeness and our interconnectedness and our unity and, uh, 
speaking to only what's true, you know, goes back to not using hyperbole and not using never and always and, and being open and, and really, especially these days, assuming the best, yes. you know, and speaking in service to the, what is best for all of us, for the whole. So does, did that cover all of them? <laughs> yes, that was beautiful. And I actually uh, make that, that's a relationship rule my husband and I have is always assume the best. Mm, yes. You don't, if you don't know, why not assume the best? <laughs> right, because it's, it's your earth walk. Like it's your life. So any moment spent not assuming the best is unnecessary torture. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And you create it. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you for like another half an hour about so much stuff, but I try to keep this as succinct as I can. Totally so, respect that. I really appreciate the work you're doing in the world and you're just your brilliant way of simplifying such a complicated, um, really complicated thing. Words, words and language and meaning is, can be very complicated and you've put it in a way that is so tangible, so doable and so workable. And I'm just personally so grateful for the work that you're doing. So thank you, Danny. Aw, thanks, Cheryl. My heart's all warm and tingling now. Oh, good. And thank you for joining me and for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Danny. And I'll put links to your website and to your book and anything else that you want people to know or where to find you before I let you go. DannyCats.com is the best place to find me. It's smart to follow me on Instagram to subscribe to my YouTube channel because I put out tons and tons of free content with languaging hacks and planetary service announcements and fun, uplifting, inspiring things. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. Thank you. You've been listening to The Powerful Creator Show. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or go to thepowerfulcreatorshow.com and join our email list so you never miss a future episode. I hope you have a powerfully creative day. Mm-hmm.